say welcome to those of you with us in the house as well as those who may be uh, joining us uh, online this morning. Welcome. I know the Duke fans in the house are happy this morning. The Carolina fans kind of got the fingers crossed. Hope the St. Pete, the Cinderella run dies today. You're hoping for that. So, and the Duke fans are like, no, go, go St. Pete. Uh, it's good to see you guys. Hey, listen, we got, got a big morning, a lot of stuff to cover. And so just a couple of quick reminders before we dive into the message. The first one is, if you happen to be newer to New Life, uh, your first step here is what we call the Journey 101 uh, Luncheon. So we do that just probably every six or eight weeks, something like that. We meet upstairs after the second service. We provide lunch. If you sign up ahead of time, we provide childcare as well. And we just kind of share a little bit about who we are and where we're going as a, a church family. So if you've never been a part of a Journey 101, let me just encourage you, go to our website, newlifeofashville.com, next steps. You can register there. Uh, if you don't want to do that, you can just stop in the lobby. They'll help you register uh, out there as well. The second thing I want to say before we dive in is that we are now only three weeks away from Easter Sunday, all right? Super Bowl of all Sundays, and so I say this every year. I sound like a broken record, but I'm gonna say it every single year. Guys, listen, the, all the stats, all the research shows that people who are invited on Easter Sunday are far more likely to accept your invitation to come to church with you than any other time of the year. People just typically, they're open, for it's kind of a traditional thing. Maybe they don't even believe in God. They just kind of want to do something that's Eastery on Easter Sunday. So let me encourage you, don't waste that opportunity. Be thinking about somebody that you could invite to come with you, to be your guest, maybe take them out to lunch afterwards. Do what you gotta do, get somebody to come with you. We wanna expose as many people as possible to the great news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want people to know that there's a God in heaven who loves them so much that he actually sent his son, Jesus, to live a perfect life, to die a death, to, to rise again, to give them life now and forever. And so please, we're gonna send out th that Easter invite uh, digitally this week on the, uh, through the loop. So if you're signed up for the loop, you'll get it. We'll put it on all of our social media stuff. So let me just encourage you, just kind of post that over the next couple of weeks, invite people to come with you. It's gonna be a great, great Sunday. Now, as we start, I want you to just imagine with me for a moment, if you could, that I had deep, deep connections in the intelligence community. Okay, so let's just say like my dad and my mom were both CIA agents. I grew up in that world. I got many friends in the CIA, NSA, all the FBI, all that kind of stuff. And I got up here and I said, hey guys, and you guys all knew that. It was just kind of a well-established fact. I said, guys, listen, um, I got good news and bad news. Bad news first. There has been a sub-oceanic nuclear device implanted right off the coast. And when that device goes off, it's going to create a tsunami the likes of which the world has never seen. It's literally going to wipe out all of North America. So D-Day is coming. I mean, I don't know exactly what, but it, it's coming. It, it could be any moment. Now, that's the bad news. The, the good news is that my buddies in the intelligent community, they've given me a few thousand survival kits. We've got them in the back, right, in the church. A few thousand, you just press a button, this little flotation device will kind of surround you, and, and then whoever survives, we're gonna create a whole new world. It's gonna be, it's gonna be great. But here's the deal. This thing is gonna happen quick. The tsunami's gonna come, and it's gonna wipe out all of North America in less than 10 seconds. So you have to have that survival kit on you at all times. Like, you gotta sleep with it, you gotta go in the shower with it, you gotta go to the bathroom. Like, anything that you're doing, you literally have to have it right there with you. Like, you have to live prepared, because it could be any moment. Now, you likely would have uh, two questions for me. The first one would probably be, Chris, are you sure that the mushrooms you ate last night with dinner were of the legal variety? <laughs> to which I would answer, don't be nosy. The second question you probably would have is, when? 
right? Like if this is, if all your friends in the intelligence community are telling you this is going down, well, like I, Chris, I gotta know when, like do I have a day? Do I, do I have a, a week? Should I go on vacation next month? Like, what, what's, like, you gotta give me some details. I gotta know when this is gonna happen. Now, that's a natural thing for us to want to know when some life-changing event is gonna happen, right? If you're here, you're watching online, you're young, you're single, you probably would like to know when you're gonna find your significant other and get married. Like, you probably would just love to know that. If you're, if you're married and you're trying to have kids but you haven't had kids yet, and you, you'd love to one day, you'd probably love to know, man, when, when am I gonna have a kid? When am I finally gonna have a kid? If you're older, your kids are older, they're still living at home, you're probably thinking, man, when are these moochers gonna move out of my house so I can have my, my life back? Now, here's a good one. If you could know the date of your own death, would you wanna know? I'm not sure that I would, to be honest with you, but I think a lot, a lot of people would, right? The curiosity is a natural thing for human beings. And these new believers in the city of Thessalonica that we're going to be looking at in the book of 1 Thessalonians, if you have your Bible, go ahead and head there, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, they were also very curious because Paul had taught them about the second coming of Jesus. He had taught them about, about, about the, the day of judgment, that final day, and they, and they were just really, they were really thinking about it. And they, and they were really curious about when these events were going to unfold. And so that's what we're going to dive into uh, together this morning. But before we do, let's pause just for a moment and pray, ask for the Holy Spirit's guidance. Father, we, uh, we come to you, and we would just say collectively as a body this morning that uh, we, we need to hear from you. The world is chaotic. Uh, this has been a tough week for many of us. It's, it's a confusing time to be alive. Oftentimes, God, we, we need a, a word from you. We need clear truth, something that impacts our hearts and impacts our soul in a meaningful way. And God, so where our minds are distracted this morning, would you bring clarity? Where our hearts are hardened, God, would you soften those places in our hearts so that we could hear from you through your word by the power of your spirit? And so we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. All right, 1 Thessalonians chapter five, we're gonna cover the first 11 verses, and so let's Let's get to it. Starting in verse one, Paul writing these brand new Christians in Thessalonica says this. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord, so if you, if you have a, a pencil or a highlight, just, just highlight that terminology right there. The day of the Lord. All right, this is a phrase that was used by the prophets in the Old Testament to describe that final day of judgment, okay? And so Paul uses that word here uh, both for the final day of judgment and the second coming of Jesus. So that's a very important term. We're gonna come back to it. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord, now this is interesting, will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security. In, in other words, nobody's gonna be looking for it. Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. And so Paul's answer to the Thessalonians' question of when, like, Paul, when, when is this going to happen? When is this going down? Like, we need more details, Paul. Tell us, tell us when this is going to happen. Give us the seasons. Give us the dates. Give us the times. Paul goes, listen, I don't even need to write you about this. In other words, and he's saying this politely from a place of love, guys, you have all the information you need. Your focus doesn't need to be on more information. Your focus needs to be on more preparation. You don't need more information. You need more preparation. Last week, uh, Pastor Rodney did a great job of pointing out the dangers 
even in our culture, and we see this a lot, of date setting and sign watching. Right? The, the list throughout history of people who have made a mockery of Christianity by setting dates and, and making all these predictions is long. And Rodney pointed out some of, some of the funniest ones, right? The, the dude that wrote 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. When that didn't happen, he promptly wrote like 89 Reasons Jesus is Coming Back in 1989 or something really goofy like that. Listen, I want you to listen to the words of Jesus on this, okay? This is in Matthew chapter 24. After giving the disciples just some basic things to let them know when the end was near, this is what he says. This will be on the screens for you. Jesus says, but concerning the day and the hour, no one knows. Not, not, that, not that preacher on the TV with a hairspray comb over. He doesn't know. Not even the angels in heaven, he says, nor the son. Jesus said, I don't even know. But only the father knows the day and the hour. Now, here, here's what Paul is saying uh, to them, and I think what God is trying to say to us today through his word. Listen, guys, don't obsess over dates and times and signs. Here's what you need to be focused on, and this is truth number one. This will be on the screens for you. The king is coming back to judge the living and the dead. That's what you need to know. That's what you need to be focused on as a child of God, not the date or the hour, the fact that Jesus is coming back. I want you to listen to what John, the apostle John, Jesus' best friend, God gave him a vision of, of the end times as he was a prisoner on the island of Patmos, Patmos a very, very old man at this point in time. And God gives him this, this vision of, of what we're talking about here, the, the day of the Lord, right? The judgment day, that final day. This will be on the screens for you. This is John writing this. He says, then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. He's talking about the second coming, the coming of Jesus. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems or, or crowns. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Come on now. Now this is only scary if you don't know Jesus. But if you're in a relationship with him, you know him, he has saved you, he's re redeemed your soul, you read that and you're like, yes, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Deal with all the evil in the world. Deal with all the injustice in the world. Usher in the new heavens and the new earth. And then Paul gives us two pictures to help us understand what this day will be like. The first picture he gives us is that this day, this event will be like a thief in the night. Now let me ask you, how does a thief come in the night? Do they ring your doorbell and say, excuse me, ma'am. Just want to let you know I'm about to kick down your door, tie you up, and steal all your stuff. No, they, they use the element of surprise. Right? They, they come under the cover of darkness. And so Paul is saying this event is going to be very surprising to the person who is unprepared. For the person who hears this, they're just like, ah, I don't know about all this end time stuff. I'm not going to really worry about it. I'm not going to think about it much. This is going to be very surprising. They're going to be the, the person that's like easy pickings for, for a thief in the night. 
They have no lock on the door. They got no alarm system. They got no dog to alert them. They're going to they're gonna be shocked and surprised. I think most people are going to fall into this category. They're not going to be prepared. They're not going to see it coming. It's going to be very unexpected, and it's going to be very unwelcome for most people. That's the first picture that Paul gives us. He gives us uh, another picture here. He uses the, the imagery of a pregnant woman who begins to experience birth pains, contractions as she goes into labor. Now, how many of you know that once the water breaks, the contractions come on strong, there ain't no stopping that train? Like, it, it's coming down the tracks. Like, dads, you, you best get her to the hospital or get your catching mitt ready because it, it's, it's coming. You're not, you're not gonna stop this. That's what Paul is saying. This event at this point in time is inescapable. But here, I think, is the difference, right? The, between, between the thief in the night analogy and the pregnant woman analogy, the difference is the mom has had nine long months to prepare. Now, she didn't know the day. She didn't know the time, but she knew it was coming. She saw the evidence. She could see the evidence. She could feel the evidence. She knew it was coming. She prepared accordingly. My sweet wife, all three times she gave birth, and she had a go bag ready like two months ahead of time, maybe three months. It, it was a long time. I do know that. I was like, what are you doing? Like clothes, books, jewelry, makeup, hair dry. Like, good Lord, are we going to the prom? Are we going to give birth? Like, I thought we were going to the hospital. We're going to come back. Like, two days later, she was ready to go. Paul's saying, listen, Jesus is coming back, and the question for you is, are you going to be surprised like the person who did not expect the thief in the night, or are you going to be prepared like the mom who had nine months to prepare for the baby she knew was coming? The, the, cho the choice is yours, but Paul is saying, this is, this is really important what you do with this information and how you organize and shape your life around what this doctrine of the second coming is. So Jesus is coming back to judge the living and the dead. That's the primary thing Paul wants to know. Hey, don't focus on the details. Don't focus on the signs. Don't read books on numerology. Try to figure all this stuff out. You're gonna be wasting your time. Not even the sun knows. Not even the angels know. What you need to be focused on is the king is coming back. And he's coming back as king, ruler, and judge to judge the living and the dead. You need to know that. Verse four, he continues. He says, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. In other words, he's saying, if you're walking in the light, if you're a born again child of God, this, this day should not be a surprise to you. Verse five, for you are all children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. See, Paul isn't so much concerned with the when, he's more concerned with the how. How should we live in light of the second coming of Jesus? So let, let me just encourage you, believer, from a place of pastoral care and love, don't live your life counting blood moons or reading about dates and numerology and all of that stuff. Be aware of the times to be sure, but devote your life to the how, not the when. How should I live my life in light of this truth? Not when is it going to happen? What are all the details? We don't know all the details. Paul, again, 
gives us a picture of two kinds of people to illustrate this point. This will be on the screens for you. He says, there are people of the night. These people are marked by two things. They are spiritually asleep and they are drunk. It's one type of person, I would argue, that's the vast majority of the world. But he says there's also a second type of person, not just the people of the night. They're also children of the light. And he's going to argue that these people are marked by being awake spiritually and being sober spiritually. So let's just talk about those just for a moment. People of the night. When he says that they're asleep, these are people, and you know them. Maybe maybe you're there right now. I don't know. They're just kind of lethargic spiritually. You know what I'm saying? Just kind of apathetic kind of in a state of, of slumber spiritually when they hear about these events, the coming of Jesus, they just kind of yawn like, oh, I don't know, I'm not just not that interested in it. These are people that are kind of dismissive, like, yeah, whatever, I, man, I, I just don't really care. I don't even know if I believe in this stuff. People of the night, Paul is saying, they are spiritually asleep. These are people that have their head in the sand. They also, Paul says, they are, they're drunk, spiritually speaking. And you know people like this. They're just kind of careless in life. They just kind of live these, these woozy lives, just kind of stumbling through their lives. They're kind of wild, maybe more concerned with temporary pleasure rather than eternal destination. Drunk, can't think clearly about spiritual matters. People of the night are asleep and they're drunk. That's what Paul says. But he also says there's another kind of person. And of course, he's challenging us to live in this second category of people. He says there's children of the light. And children of the light are marked by being awake spiritually, meaning they're attentive. They're alert, right? They're, they're vigilant. The thief is not going to surprise them in the middle of the night, right? Because they're ready. They've prepared. They got an alarm on their house. They got two giant Rottweilers in the yard. They got a baseball bat by the bed. They're ready to roll. Children of the light are awake spiritually. He also says, the second thing about these children of the light is they're not only awake, they're also sober. Meaning they can think clearly about spiritual matters. Their head is not in the sand on these things. And they also don't follow the cultural, cultural mantra of, listen, if it feels good, do it, right? They're marked by self-control, by discernment. They live completely aware that Jesus could return at any moment in time. Could be tonight, could be tomorrow, could be next month, could be next year, could be a day. We don't know. And so I think an appropriate question for us this morning would simply be, which category would you fall in? Not which category do you hope that you're in or you wish you were in, but if you actually look at your life, would you have to say, yes, I'm living spiritually awake and sober? Or would you have to admit, man, I'm, I'm living kind of in a state of slumber spiritually? I don't think clearly about these things. I'm kind of, kind of drunk spiritually when it comes to these matters. Paul's saying, guys, listen, this, this is important. We, we, we need to structure our lives around these truths. So here's, here's what I think Paul is saying. This is the second truth on the screens for you. He's saying, wake up. We need to stay awake. And when, listen, once you're awake, stay awake. This is really important. This is not something you just need to like shuffle off to the side and never give any thought to. If you love Jesus, if you follow Jesus, you ought to be thinking about these things. You ought to be thinking about the second coming of Christ and what that means for your life, the life of those that you love. I just recently learned, some of y'all may know this if you're a history buff, but I, I recently learned that uh, during the Civil War, 
when uh, Tennessee, the state of Tennessee, decided to secede from the Union, uh, East Tennessee tried to secede from the state of Tennessee to stay as part of the Union. Did you guys know that? I just learned that this week. It was called, and I love this, it was called the Rebellion Against the Rebellion. It was kind of, the idea was like, hey, listen, if y'all rebel against the United States of America, we're going to rebel against you. And thus, a very valuable lesson was learned then that stands true today. Don't mess with mountain folk, all right? You don't mess with mountain folk. Now, if you just moved here from like New York or Los Angeles or something like that, if you're driving deep in the mountains and you hear banjo music, just go ahead and turn around. Your life is in peril and drive away. You don't mess with mountain folk, all right? They were the rebellion in the midst of the rebellion. They're like, y'all gonna rebel against them? Now we're gonna rebel against you. And I think that is a beautiful picture of what Paul is talking about here. As the world rebels against God and his good design, we're called to rebel against the rebellion and embrace Jesus and his kingdom. We are the rebels in the middle of the rebellion. Now, how do we do that, Paul? What, is it, what does that look like? Paul uses, as he oftentimes does, military language here. Look back at verse 8. He says, put on the, the breastplate, modern uh, terminology would be body armor. Put on the, the body armor, Paul says, of faith and love. And for a helmet, the hope of salvation. In other words, he's saying, guys, we got to wake up and fight. We can't live this life spiritually drunk and asleep. Man, we got to fight the, the pull of the world. We got to be the rebellion in the middle of the rebellion. Especially in a place like Asheville. Right? A, a place, a city, a culture where there really is no right or wrong. Everybody is just like, man, you do you. You follow your pathway. You follow your inner truth. You create your own truth. Don't let anybody tell you what to do. In a place that has no real objective moral standard or moral compass, as believers, man, we got to fight that internal drift. And listen, if I, if I could just be honestly tell you a secret, this pastor struggles with that drift. Man, I, I, feel, I feel that pull in my own heart, in my own thoughts at times. I feel it, man, and I've got to do battle to stay awake spiritually. I've got that same little voice in my head that you probably have in yours. It just whispers things like, come on, Chris. It is 2022. Are you really going to tell that couple who's cohabitating before marriage that wants you to marry them, are you really going to tell them that they have to live separately for a period of time before you perform their wedding ceremony? Are you really going to ask them to live a celibate life for two or three months before you marry them? Chris, it's 2022, bro. Are you really going to keep beating this drum that God created humanity in two beautiful and complementary genders that are not fluid, but established by the creator on purpose for the flourishing of humanity? Don't you know that you're never going to be popular in this world if you keep preaching that stuff, man? Why don't you just soften up a little bit on some of these things? Try to be culturally relevant. Or to make it more personal, the temptation that I have, that I struggle with to justify my own sin. Now look, I, I'm just telling you, confession time is good for the soul. I love to eat food and I hate to do cardio. Right? I don't know if there's anybody else out there like me. I love to eat, I hate to exercise. 
Now, the good news is this. When we get to heaven, there will be no treadmills in heaven. Donuts will make you skinny. Broccoli will make you fat. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. I'm just telling y'all, it's real easy for me to spiritualize my gluttony and my slothfulness. Right? I, man, I, I'm, I'm good at it. Man, I, I'm too busy. Don't you know what my schedule looks like? I'm too busy doing the work of the Lord to take care of my body, right? And that's just a bunch of garbage. I can also tend to be very impatient, and I can spiritualize that like a champ. I'm not, I'm not impatient. I'm, I'm just driven. I want to see things accomplished in the kingdom of God. I'm not, this is the way God hardwired me. I'm just, I'm just a driven person. And I feel like sometimes the Holy Spirit just says, Chris, no, you're not driven. You're just a butthead sometimes. So stop, stop spiritualizing your, your sin. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Listen, you've got to wage war against this drift towards worldliness in your life. And here are your weapons, Paul says. Put on the body, body armor of faith and love. Faith. What is faith? A trust in Jesus, even when it's hard. Even when your friends and the word around you says, you're crazy to believe what you believe, to value what you value. Love, this idea of self-sacrificial giving of yourself to love God, to care for others. And then Paul says, put on this, this helmet of hope, the hope of your salvation, hope. I love that word, man, this unshakable foundation of the soul that just refuses to despair regardless of the circumstances. Man, these are the weapons with which we can wage war against becoming sleepy and drunk in this world. This is how we fight the drift towards the world and the ways of this world, the value system of this world that are not the ways of God or his kingdom. These are the weapons that we use to stay awake and fight faith, love, and hope. Now Paul continues with this last little section, starting in verse nine. He says this, these are, listen, these are great, these are hopeful words. For God has not destined us, he's talking to believers here, followers of Jesus, has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake, that means living or asleep or dead, we might live with him. Therefore, Paul says, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. So Paul closes with really hopeful words. I don't know about you, but I need hopeful words in my life. I'm never gonna turn down a dose of hope. And here's the hope that Paul is giving us. He's saying, Christian, we are not destined for wrath. We are destined for life. He's saying you don't have to be afraid of the day of the Lord, the coming day of judgment. Now that will be a day of great terror for many, but it will be a party to end all parties for those who know and love Jesus Christ. Not because we're good enough, not because we're moral enough, not because we've somehow earned it, because the reality is you're not that good and I'm not that good either. But we have a savior in Jesus who took the wrath that was stored up for us because of your sin and my sin, and he drank all of the wrath that was meant for us on the cross so that we can now stand blameless before the Father on that final day. Fully cleansed, fully forgiven, fully redeemed, all the way free, not halfway free, not 75% forgiven, all the way I love the way this, uh, the great ancient um, church father, Athanasius, put it. This will be on the screen for you. 
talking about Jesus, he says, he became what we are that we might become what he is. In other words, our sin on the cross was exchanged for the righteousness of Jesus. And Paul says, hey guys, I want you to encourage each other with these words. Jesus is coming back as judge, but if you're in Christ, that's good news. That's the best news you could ever hear. So here's the last truth, and then we're done. Follower of Jesus, number three, our destiny, and you gotta remember this, our destiny is not wrath, but deliverance. Man, our rescue is as certain as the sky is blue, the day is long. And I know there are some of you who are watching online, you're maybe here in the room, man, and you feel like you're drowning in life. Some of you feel like you're walking in a season of darkness that will never end. Some of you are suffering so deeply, you can't ever see a way out or ever imagine a day where you'll be happy again. And Paul is saying, hey, listen, beloved in Christ, don't despair. Don't despair. Don't you ever give up. Don't forget that the end of your story is already written. You will be with your Savior one day, perfectly healed and whole forever and ever. And now Paul says, I want you to go and I want you to encourage each other with these words. The day of the Lord, the second coming of Jesus, is not meant to be a scary doctrine or one that we obsess over all the details and dates and times and sign reading and all this stuff. It is meant to be a life-giving truth that shines light on how we live our lives and encourages our souls. Paul says in Romans 13, I think this is very appropriate to this passage, he writes this, and do this, understanding the present time, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave decently. It's this idea of holiness, of following the ways of Jesus instead of the, de- the ways of the world. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And know this, church family, the world will count you as foolish if you live as a rebel against the rebellion. You will be counted as a fool by many. If you live spiritually awake and alert, people will think that you have lost your mind. Mark Batterson, uh, a pastor in his book, Circle Maker, said it well. This will be on the screens for you. Mark writes this. Faith is the willingness to look foolish. Noah looked foolish building a boat in the middle of the desert. Yeah, he did. The Israelite army looked foolish marching around Jericho blowing trumpets. A shepherd boy named David looked foolish charging a giant with a slingshot. The Magi looked foolish tracking a star to Timbuktu. Peter looked foolish getting out of a boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus looked foolish wearing a crown of thorns, but the results speak for themselves. Noah was saved from the flood. The walls came tumbling down. David defeated Goliath. The Magi discovered the Messiah. Peter walked on water, and Jesus was crowned King of Kings. And we, too, believers, will be vindicated on that final day when we see Jesus face to face. And so the call this morning is, let's live as rebels in the middle of the rebellion. And let's encourage each other with these words. 
Our king is coming back. Our rescue is certain. Praise be to God. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we pray?